Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. Uh, remember to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And speaking of that content, if you have any feedback, you could go on VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com, uh, and you could give feedback, positive, negative, whatever you like. It's always welcome. And and of course, if you like, follow us, Joe and I, on uh, social media at The Frontline TV on YouTube, The Frontline TV on YouTube, and also our website if you'd like to support us, TheFrontlineTV.com, TheFrontlineTV.com. Today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Josh Johnson, and we are going to be discussing, uh, as a general topic, an invitation to millennial Catholics, okay? And we love it, and for those of you who are out there, who do not know Father Johnson, I want to give a brief introduction. Father Josh Johnson is the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. He is also the author of Broken and Blessed, An Invitation to My Generation, Pocket Guide to Adoration, Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and a contributing author of Black Catholics on the Road to Sainthood. You could keep in touch with Father Josh through his weekly podcast, Ask Father Josh, and his Ascension Presents YouTube series that Ask Father Josh Show. Father Josh Johnson, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe and Joe, it's good to be with y'all. Thank you very much. Uh, Joe, I'll hand it over to you. Father, would you lead us in prayer before we begin? I would love to. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father God, we love you and we adore you and we worship you. We glorify you. We desire to honor you throughout our walk toward eternity. We ask that you give us the graces that we need to not only receive, but in a very real way to perceive the, the gift of your love for us. May your love draw us to fix our eyes upon the face of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can see the way that he looks at us and hear the words that he speaks to us as he invites us to become saints in our journey toward heaven. We ask this prayer, Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Fa Father. Father, we'll begin with your journey. Um, I, I shared this with Father uh, when I reached out to him. I, I didn't meet you, but I remember you in India, in Calcutta. You were traveling there with a group from Louisiana, um, and I believe you were a deacon at that time. I could be I was, wrong. Yeah, I was going to be a deacon. No, I was actually with one person, one friend. And um, and I was going to be ordained a deacon in about uh, six months from that time we were in Calcutta. So that was uh, my my last my last few months as a layperson. Okay, there we go. And I and I mean, like, how did it roll from there? Because that was I could just speak for myself. Um, you're the second person, believe it or not, on this show. Father Boniface Hicks, I also saw in India too. Uh, At the same in two, time, two thousand and seven. He was okay. he was doing a like uh, some lectures out there. So I wow. mean, I, and many people that I, I I used to go there during Advent uh, before I got married, and it, it's almost like a springboard into stuff. Like it it, it was for me, and the sisters formed me. Um, how did that you know impact your you know oh, journey man. to the priesthood as well as your you know your call? Well, you know, so before I went to Calcutta. That summer before I was doing hospital ministry, and every day when I was working in the hospital, I saw death. And so I saw people who would show up every single day to be at the, the bedside of their spouses or of their parents or of their children. And then I'd go home to the seminary, and I would uh, spend time with Jesus in the chapel. And I just I kept perceiving Jesus on the cross. Um, and the words I perceived in prayer from Jesus to me were, Josh, 
Um, if, if I were unconscious, like these people in the hospital are right now, if I were in a coma, would you still come and visit me? Would you still come and spend time with me? Or do you only come because of the gifts that I give you in prayer? The consolation that you feel whenever you're faithful to me in prayer. And, um, and every day it was a different response for me. Some days I was, yes, Jesus, you know, I love you. And other days I was like, oh, Jesus, I really want the consolation. And then finally, by the end of that summer, I was able to sincerely tell the Lord that he was enough for me, that he was sufficient, and that I didn't need any more gifts from him. And that even if, if he was in a coma, I would still go in and be with him every single day. And so right after I got home from that mission in the hospital, I, uh, I no longer perceived the presence of God. When I read scripture, it was dull. When I went to theology classes in seminary, I hated it. Um, I felt like the Lord stripped me of all of my friends that season of my, of my life as I was preparing for ordination. I would do a holy hour every day before the Blessed Sacrament. And I just, I felt nothing. I could hear nothing. And it was completely miserable. And, um, but I kept showing up because I told him, God, I will come to you for you, not for what you do for me. Um, and so one of my good friends, he's a priest, he passed away. He offered to pay for me to go to Calcutta because I was going through a bit of a dark night. And, and so um, there was a, a closeness I felt to Mother Teresa. So I just wanted to be next to her where she worked and where she lived for so many years so I could learn from her how I was going to persevere because ordination was right around the corner. And I, I told the Lord that I, you know, I, I loved him. So I was going to be in this for him and not for what I was feeling or experiencing. And so uh, that's why I went to Calcutta. And it was absolutely powerful to be there. Uh, as you know, the sisters have mass every day at 6 a.m. And then we work all day. And then at 6 p.m., they invite everyone to adoration. But part of my time there, I would ask the sisters after the 6 a.m. mass if I could just stay in the chapel for 12 hours and just be, be with the Lord the whole time. And, and they would give me permission uh, every now and then to do that. And during that time where it was just he and I uh, in the adoration chapel, uh, the, the Lord just reminded me that, again, like, yeah, it might be dry the rest of my life, but my love for him is not based on on anything else outside of the fact that he's my my love. And so uh, that trip gave me the the grace to to continue to move toward ordination. And it wasn't until the night before I was ordained a deacon. I was ordained a deacon on Padre Pio's birthday, May 25th. On May 24th, I was doing a holy hour with Mother Teresa's nuns in Baton Rouge. We have a, a woman's shelter in a soup kitchen with the Missionaries of Charity Sisters. And I was doing my holy hour, and I'm still miser absolutely miserable. It's so dry. It's, uh, man, it was painful. And during my holy hour, for the first time in, a, in since the summer, I perceived the voice of God in prayer. What I perceived the Lord say to me was, uh, Josh, it was, it was me. It was, it was me who called you. I called you. No one else called you. It was me who called you to ordination. And then my cell phone went off, and my spiritual director, who I hadn't spoken to in a long time, because he got very sick, uh, he texted me and he said, yes, Josh, it was God who called you. It wasn't anyone else. It was Jesus. Like word for word, I perceive the Lord saying prayer is what I was unable to receive in this text message from my former spiritual director. And, uh, and so that was just a, a great moment of consolation as I prepared to make my promises to, to God and to the church the next day. And, uh, and ever since ordination, it's been, um, it's been just an awesome roller coaster ride. It's been a gift. And I, I was ordained a priest the following year, and I just, uh, I'm so grateful that God invited me to this vocation. Yeah. Father Josh Johnson joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. One, I, I Father, I, Joe and I on the show all the time, we emphasize how important it is. What, what you two were just talking about inspired me. I, I've, I've have not been involved with the, the. Um, the missionaries of charity, okay? But my experience, it leans more towards the Franciscan Sisters of the Renewal and Sisters of Life, as does Joe's, right? We emphasize all that, or maybe you could emphasize, because the idea is uh, an invitation to millennials, that's what we're talking, younger people, okay? How important is it, do you think, to, to not only serve, let's say in the case of serving the poor, but maybe spending some time with these orders, if you're a young person, let's say, or do you recommend that when you come across younger people and you're like, I believe you've done campus ministry, if I'm correct. Um, how, how important do you think that might be um, to draw younger people closer to God and to, and to the service of God? What are, you, what are your I, thoughts on that? I agree. I think that whenever we have joyful religious sisters, our brothers in our, in our diocese, it's, it's, it's very important for young people to be in their presence because Pope Paula VI 
Saint Pope Paul VI, he says that the world today no longer listens to teachers. The world will only listen to a witness. And if, in fact, the world listens to somebody who's a teacher, it's only because that person was first and foremost a witness. And the sisters, like Mother Teresa's nuns, the missionaries of charity, they don't just talk to talk, but they walk to walk. They live a very ascetical lifestyle. They don't have much comfort uh, in, in their convents, in the homes that they serve, but they're filled with joy. And I think whenever young people see how happy they are, living a life totally devoted to Christ and to his church, um, not embracing the comforts of this world, it at least piques the interest of our youth to say, well, well, what is it? Like, where do you get your joy from? Because we all want to be happy. We all long to be joyful. And so when we're around joyful witnesses to the gospel, to the church, that certainly is always inspiring. And that can be a bridge that God does often use to draw people to a relationship with Christ. You know, you talked about young people and, um, I met my wife through the church. Joe and I are married to sisters. And, you know, I went through a different route. I mean, and we're going to talk about campus life because you, you do work on, on or have done some work on campuses. Um, marriage has to be built on God. And I, I went the other way. You know, I, I did the fr like the fraternity life and, and it, it amounted to nothing. And not only did it amount to nothing, it amounted to me being miserable when it was all said and done, doing the wrong things. And that's the road I think a lot of kids, they buy that lie. Um, and that's how I met my wife, you know, like, and it wasn't for my decision at 22 to be a committed Catholic. I was always Catholic. I mean, being Italian, you're culturally Catholic, but I didn't really, I went to Catholic school like so many, but I didn't practice even in college, I went to a Jesuit college. I didn't practice. You know, I used to go to mass. Father, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm surprised a lightning didn't strike me dead in, in the mass. In, in, I used to go to the nine o'clock mass on Sunday, the sinner's mass. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's how I met my wife. So, I mean, that's how you could meet good people, like-minded people, volunteering, doing good stuff. And I think they're looking in the wrong place, these kids. Some of them are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what is, what is your take? I mean, let's talk about your campus ministry. You served as, um, uh, I believe, Louisiana State University campus minister at Christ the King, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Catholic Student Center. So what, what is your take right now uh, from your perspective on, on the state of the millennials, of, of this, this younger generation? Because if you watch the news, you'd think this is a, a completely damned generation who just falls into debauchery. That's why we shouldn't watch the news. Let's be, let's be frank. Um, but you, you're on the ground, so to speak. You're in the trenches. What do you see um, amongst the young, uh, younger people? I, it's actually pretty exciting. So I, I still go to LSU. I work there two days a week now. I'm going to help out on Tuesdays all day long and then half a day on Wednesday. Uh, and and it's for me, it's extremely exciting. I see a lot of people who are hungry for the Lord. Uh, what, what happens during a young person's college experience is it's their first time for many of them to live out on their own. And so they're flying away from their parents and and they want to be free from everything they, they learn. And they, they try to live a life of sin in the beginning, many of them. And they come to recognize that sin never satisfies and sin cannot fulfill their desires and it cannot uh, quench their, their thirst or satiate that ache that, that we all have in our hearts for the Lord, that infinite longing that we all have for Christ. And so by the time they come uh, around to us, they're hungry. I, I, I prefer college ministry more than I, I prefer high school ministry. I find in high school ministry, I'm trying to win them over in college ministry, they're coming because they recognize that the lies of the world don't satisfy. And, and we introduce them to Christ and we get them plugged into small group Bible studies and, um, and fellowship with other young disciples of Jesus Christ. And we've witnessed legit miracles. I mean, daily mass, we have hundreds and hundreds of students that come to, to Christ the King for daily mass. Uh, LSU has the most Catholics out of any university in America. We have over 15,000 Catholic students at uh, Louisiana State University. Our Adoration Chapel is always packed. Sunday Mass is standing room only. Um, and so these young people are hungry for the Lord. And so we just go out to meet them on campus and we invite them to Bible studies. And from Bible studies, uh, they come back to confession, they come back to Mass, they come on our retreats. And and it's been really, really beautiful. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm very hopeful for the future. Uh, and, and 
I also have a pretty optimistic you know, personality in general, so I'm never one to get uh, too Debbie Downer about much in life. But yeah, I, I just see a lot of really beautiful things happening in their in their lives. And then I was there full time eight years ago, and so I've seen the fruit of our ministry. And the fruit of our ministry is we have uh, young men and women who've entered religious life, who've entered seminary formation, some who have been ordained um, since I, I, I was there eight years ago. Uh, we have a lot of uh, young people who are now married and are raising good, holy Catholic families. Some are involved in lay apostolates. They're missionaries at Focus, or with Vagabond, or with St. Paul's Outreach. And so it's just been really beautiful for me to see the supernatural fruit that has come from just being present to them. And what I find that is most important for us who are attempting to accompany young people is to stop focusing on the programs and the projects and the different plans that are out there that are all good and focus more on the interior life. Our young people, if they learn how to pray, then we can trust that Jesus Christ will speak to them in his will, way, and time when they're walked toward eternity. One of my favorite stories to tell people is about a man by the name of Jan Chernowski. Jan was a, a young man who was socially awkward. He was extremely introvert, and he had a lot of physical health issues. Uh, and so he actually had to leave his job and move back home with his parents as a 20-something-year-old guy. And so he's living with his parents. He's going to a Sunday Mass only. And one day at Sunday Mass, the priest preaches a homily and says, everyone has the capacity to be a saint. And Jan was so inspired by this priest homily that he went home and he began to uh, examine the lives of the saints, particularly St. John the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. And he was so inspired by the writings that he began to devote intentional and consistent time to Jesus Christ in prayer, in the scriptures, with the rosary every single day. He began to go to Mass throughout the week. The priest began to notice that there was something special about this young man. Now, what was missing in this particular parish was a, a vibrant youth ministry. So the pastor asked him, hey, can, can you be our youth minister? And he was like, Father, I am socially awkward. I am extremely introvert. I have too many health issues. There's no way I can be a youth minister. And the priest is like, look, you know Jesus. I want you. You're the only one I want. So he finally said yes. And every Sunday after Mass, he would stand outside the doors of the church and awkwardly walk up to young people and invite them to youth group. And it was painful for him to do this because, again, he was socially awkward. And then they would come and they would come. And instead of looking at a program or, or doing projects, I have a dog right here in my bed and, and all those other things, <laughs> he, um, he would teach him how to pray. He would just teach him how to pray week after week. And one day, a young man who was like 20 years old came to, to church, came to mass. Mikey, get over here. It's a dog, not a person. <laughs> but one day, this young man came to mass and he was like 20 years old and he was depressed. His, his family was, was, they all died and his friends were dead and, and he was just really down. He was beginning to doubt the Blessed Mother's role in his life and, and the church. And But he went to Mass, and he was invited to, to join this youth group. So he he went to it, and he learned how to pray. He learned why he should have a devotion to our Blessed Mother. The, the fruit of Jan's youth group uh, was that nine men from his youth group went on to become priests. Three of those men became bishop. And one of those guys, particularly this young man who's 20 years old, whose parents had passed away, became Pope. St. John Paul II. And Pope St. John Paul II, he accredited his vocation and his capacity to discern properly to the formation he received from his youth minister, Jan Chernowski, who simply taught him how to pray. In his office in the Vatican, Pope John Paul II had a picture of his parents and he had a picture of Jan Chernowski, who's now a servant of God. And so our goal right now um, at LSU's campus. My goal as a vocation director, I travel the whole diocese. I speak to, to priests. I speak to youth ministers, to DREs, and to young people and old people. Um, the goal is to teach people how to encounter Jesus Christ through Lexi Divina, before the Blessed Sacrament, with our Blessed Mother, in small group communities. Because if we can teach people how to pray, then we can entrust, we can trust that God will speak to them and he will call them to become saints and the unique ways that he called people to become saints before us in our walk toward heaven. You know, you get it. And I'll because no one could speak to the heart like Christ. Too many programs, too many plans get in front of the Blessed Sacrament. When I saw, I'll be honest with you, when I read your bio and I saw your two books, Pocket Guide to Adoration, Pocket Guide to Reconciliation, there it is. It's right there. It's right there. You know, not enough people go to recon to Sacrament of Reconciliation. I always say, go once a month. John, Paul, Don't ask me. That's what Padre Pio said. That's what Fulton Sheen said. That's what Pope John Paul II said. I'm going to listen to them. Sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament. The keys to it. We don't have to come up with all these crazy things. A lot of that 
father, I'll be honest with you, it's hubris, it's pride. I know better. I'm smart. I know the deal. I went to this school. I... Here's that guy, perfect this story, you know, simple person. He's going to become a saint. I want to have ST in front of my name, not MD on the back end. You get it. You get it. That's it. Period. Yeah, prayer is everything. Prayer, prayer is everything. Relationship with Jesus Christ is everything. And so uh, if, if we are all praying, then the fruit of our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be beautiful apostolates that uh, the Lord will invite us to participate in for us to go out into the world and to transform the world through a discipleship and evangelization and catechesis and justice and charity and everything else. Um, but if we're not focused on prayer, then everything we're doing will be done in vain. If our house is not built upon the Lord, if it's not the fruit of our Lord's um, relationship with us, then it's not going to bear any fruit and we're just going to burn out and we're not going to see any transformation. And so, uh, and everything that, that we do in our ministry in the vocations office on the campus at LSU, it's all rooted in our personal prayer and in our communal prayer. So we actually pray together as a team. We do time before the Blessed Sacrament as a team. We do time with the Word of God, the Lexia Divina as a team. And then we share the fruit of our prayer with each other. And it's the fruit of our prayer that dictates all of our ministries. Our relationship with God dictates everything, nothing else. Not wise ideas, not, not different projects that other people present to us. It's just prayer. And we trust that the Lord will speak to us, and He does. And then we see it in the amount of people who come back to relationship with Him, the amount of people who answer calls to discern the, their state life vocations, um, the amount of marriages that get sacramentalized. I mean, it, it's just been so beautiful uh, to, to see what happens whenever we devote more of our time to the interior life than to anything else. And As anyone said, could Father, do that. Yeah, anyone. Everyone. Yeah. So Father Josh Johnson is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. That's why I said earlier, Father, that's why I don't watch the news, because that's all depressing. You know, if you, like I said, you, you, what you're describing is, is absolutely beautiful. OK, getting through to people. Ultimately, that's what's going to change the culture is that, you know, the younger generation drawing, being drawn close to Christ. Like you said, in prayer, we rely we, we learn the hard way. We rely too much on men. Let's say uh, we rely too much on looking for different kinds of saviors when there's one savior. OK, yeah. now it's not to say, Father, that politics and culture are not important and that to fight those battles are not important. We're not suggesting that we are to engage in that way. But at the end of the day, our ultimate trust has to be in Jesus Christ. Um, real quick, Father, I want to want you to. Well, no, I'm sorry. You were about to comment. Yeah, I was just going to say, and we should be uh, focused a lot on politics in the world, but that is the fruit of our prayer, right? And so if we're if we're focused more on politics than we are on prayer, then we're going to have messed up politics, and we're not going to know how to build a civilization of love in the world and how to reform unjust practices and policies, which God calls us to do. But if we're praying, uh, like St. Catherine Drexel, St. Catherine Drexel did so much good work throughout her life. I mean, she she fought racism, and she and she— um, worked for building up a, a, a beautiful community uh, all throughout the nation. But you know, she spent four hours a day before the Blessed Sacrament. So what a lot of people don't focus on is she spent four hours in prayer, and the fruit of her prayer was manifested in her evangelization and her work for racial justice and her, her catechesis. And mm -hmm. everything she did, it came from her relationship with God. And so th that's why I always encourage people, like, if, if you pray, uh, the Lord will inspire you like he inspired the saints before us to go out and do phenomenal things out there in the world. But if we're not praying, then everything we're doing will be done in vain. Father, um, thank you for that. Um, what We're going to have you mention it again um, before the show ends, but you, all your books right now, let's say, where, where are they available? Yeah, so all of my books are available at www.ascensionpress.com. And then I, I contributed to a book on the Black Catholics on the Road to Sainthood through our Sunday Visitors. So if you go on OSV's website, you can grab that book. And then I have another book that's coming out in uh, April, uh, and it's called On Earth As It Is in Heaven, Restoring God's Vision for Race and Discipleship. And that book will be available through Ascension Press as well. I love the fact that it's all available through Catholic book publishers, okay? Therefore, we don't use that big company that's out on the West Coast to go buy our books. We have to support, we say it all the time, Father, we have to support our Catholic publishers, okay? Yeah, um, right. So uh, everybody has the information with that. Joe, we have a few minutes before the first break. Uh, so where do you want to go with Father Josh Johnson joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe? Well, I just want, like, one more question, and then, I, I to be honest, I want to explore some of uh, the topics that Father Josh has talked about regarding race. Justice, particularly in the uh, Catholic Church, um, 
basically reaching a hand to the African-American community. I think that's a very important thing. Um, and I think that's something that where you live in Southern Louisiana, you guys do a great job. But speaking like like more towards the millennials, uh, which we kind of were talking about on college campuses, how do they regard God in the church overall? I mean, you, you hear, you know, because to be honest with you, I live near New York City. And I mean, clearly the church and is not exactly viewed in many you know segments of the population as something that's a good thing uh particularly you know when it comes to abortion uh particularly yeah. when it comes to traditional marriage i mean in my circles i mean if you say i'll be honest with you father i mean where i work i can't even say publicly that i only believe in i think i'll get fired I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's the way it is. I mean, sadly, what are these kids like that you encounter? I mean, outside of, because I'm sure you talk to all types of kids, yeah. not just the ones going to campus ministry. What's their view on those t subjects? Well, I'll be honest. I think that, yeah, I mean, they're more inundated with the world than they are with the church, but that's, that's really our responsibility. I think we've done a terrible job at helping them to have a relationship with Christ. I've always said that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And what I learned growing up, because for years I rebelled from the church as well, uh, was the rules of the church. It was rules, rules, rules. And the rules are a gift from the, from the Father. I love the rules now, but the only reason I care about the rules now is because I came to have a profound encounter with Jesus Christ in prayer. And I began to cultivate a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so once I was in relationship with Christ, I wanted to care about what he cared about, which are the rules that he gives us. And so I think that most young people and old people as well, because I walk with all people, uh, struggle right now because uh, they don't, this goes back to prayer, they don't know how to pray. They, they don't, they, they've never seen with their own eyes the way that Christ looks at them. They've never heard with their own ears the words that Christ wants to speak to them. And until they have a profound encounter with Christ, the rules of the church are just going to appear to be oppressive to them. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who you and I both have a devotion to, she said to her nuns one day, she said, I'm worried about some of you. I'm worried that some of you sisters, after all these years, still have don't know Jesus. Y'all haven't seen with your own eyes the way that Jesus looks at you. You haven't heard with your own ears the words that Jesus Christ wants to speak to you. You don't know Jesus. And if we don't know Jesus, then we're not going to care about any of the rules of Jesus, um, which can be hard at times. Uh, but once we come to encounter him, we listen. When I was a pastor, I was a pastor before I was a vocation director, and one day at Mass, uh, the reading was about divorce and marriage. And at that Mass, a, a couple came who had been divorced and married a few times. And it was the first time back at Mass in a while, uh, in years. And when they heard that gospel proclaimed, before they even heard the homily, they got up and walked out. They were so upset. Why would that deacon read that message to us? And so they left. Well, then they were invited to join a Bible study. And eventually, uh, the husband reluctantly came to Bible study. And week after week, he met with guys who were in love with the Lord, who had encounters with God, and they began to devour God's word. He wouldn't come to Mass yet, hadn't been a confession yet, wasn't going to adoration, but he was going to Bible study. But through his time at Bible study, he came to have a real encounter with Jesus, and he came to really believe in Jesus. And then through that Bible study, they one day were examining that particular gospel about marriage and divorce. And this time, because he now knew Jesus, when he encountered this rule from Jesus, he accepted it, and he repented and he got his marriage sacramentalized. And before he did that, he lived as a brother and sister with his civil wife until they were able to get their marriage sacramentalized. This is stuff that I've seen all the time. And so sometimes I hear priests and they complain, oh, my people, my parish, they don't care about the rule. Like they don't have good morality and, and they don't believe in all this stuff, whatever. And I'm like, have you ever taught them to pray? And, and, and the reason why some of them don't know how to pray is because the priests themselves aren't spending time with God in prayer and the priests aren't witnessing to the people how to pray. If people see us, spend hours in our church before our tabernacle, walk around our neighborhoods with our rosary, with our scriptures open, reading the Bible throughout the day, then our people will begin to spend hours with Christ before the blessed sacrament. They will walk and pray the rosary. They will read the Bible and they will have an encounter with Christ that will transform their life. And from that relationship, they will then care about the rules. Too often our church's motto is uh, you have to behave first. And then if you behave, then uh, it, it, then you'll belong after you behave and believe what the church teaches. It, it should be the other way around. It's you belong here. Come as you are. We're all a bunch of sinners. We're all struggling. Just come as you are. And when people know they belong, then they will come to believe in what the church teaches. And then from a, a right ordered mind, they will behave like a disciple of Christ and not like a heathen in the world. 
There you go. There you go, Father Josh Johnson. I mean, th that's exactly right. I couldn't agree with you more, but let let's let's take a break. Um, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are talking to Father Josh Johnson, and we are in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We are discussing an invitation to millennial Catholics along, and we are mentioning along the way that Father Josh Johnson, he's all over the place on social media, Ascension Presents, the Ask Father Josh show, Ask Father Josh um, on his weekly podcast. He's got the pocket guide to reconciliation, pocket guide to adoration. He's got a new book coming out. So we got a lot to talk to with Father Josh Johnson. Stick around. We'll be back on the other side of the break. Let me turn off. I'm cooking right now. Let me turn off something. Hey, listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're having a great conversation with Father Josh Johnson. We're discussing, amongst other things, uh, millennials, millennial Catholics, and an invitation to millennial Catholics. And we're also discussing Father Josh's, um, you know, books that he's written and touching on those. And with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Joe Resinello touched on the subject on the other side of the break, and, and I want to really blow this out. Um, I mean, where Father lives in southern Louisiana, I, I think it's very unique um, that uh, basically the Catholic faith cuts across all, you know, races. I mean, black and white alike. I, I mean, I could tell you a personal story. When I was in Lafayette, um, I was an auditor at the time, and I was doing a job there, and one of the brokers was a black woman who had cancer. And at noon, this is in a corp, Prudential Securities doesn't exist anymore. This is corporate America. Over the loudspeaker, they said, we're praying the rosary for this woman. And in the conference room, now I'm like, I can't even believe that that was just said. And, there, and then a woman who was working there asked me if I wanted to come in. And I was like, and it was packed. So I was impressed. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I think we have to do a better job in reaching out to our African-American brothers and sisters in cities across America, because yep. sadly, they don't go to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. um, and they have, as Father Benedict Rochelle has many, many times said in the Bronx, some of their these people have a, a massive faith and they in, in many ways, they outdo us. We got like we got to invite them in, you know, yeah. and we got to do it in a good way. How do we do that, Father? Yeah, so I mean, this is this goes back to to the relationship with Jesus. Uh, if we really know God, then we will know God's word and what God's word says to us. And the very last thing that Jesus Christ said to the apostles before he ascended into heaven was he gave them the Great Commission, which is to go out and make disciples of all nations. The word nations is actually translated from the the Greek word ethnos, which really translates into into the English word ethnicities. So he told the apostles, "Go out and make disciples of all ethnicities." And so the apostles gathered together in prayer, and then on Pentecost, Holy Spirit overshadowed them. And the very first thing they did when they received the Holy Spirit was they went out to people of all ethnicities. They went out to people from Africa, Asia, and Europe, and they shared the gospel. And the fruit was supernatural, right? The fruit was supernatural. John, the beloved disciple, he saw a vision of heaven, and in heaven he saw men and women of every race, nation, tribe, and tongue 
worshiping together before the throne of God. The apostles themselves, they went out all the world. Thomas went to, to Asia, particularly in India. Uh, I think it was Matthew, uh, the tax collector, he died in Africa, proclaiming the gospel, bringing the church to Africa. So all the apostles went all over the world doing what Jesus Christ told them to do, to bring people together. And so uh, an important examination of conscience for all of us is to uh, answer this question. Does my church on earth look like the church in heaven? What does church in heaven look like? Every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. And so what I invite people to do is to look at your geographical boundaries of your church community. And canon law teaches us that the pastor of every church parish is responsible for the salvation of every soul and his boundaries, not just the souls of the people who are registered parishioners, not just the people who are practicing Catholics or baptized Catholics, but every soul. So if you're Catholic or Protestant, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, or Jew, male, female, young, old, whatever it is, the pastor is responsible. And so he, he must inspire and equip his people with the tools necessary to go out to accompany the people who live in the boundaries and to at least invite them to encounter Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. Again, trusting that if we just bring people to the Eucharist, then the Eucharist will transform lives. This is what Mother Teresa's nuns, Joe, did in Calcutta. When we were there, do you remember every day at 6 p.m., they invited everyone who volunteered to go to adoration? Everybody. Sure. Not, not just Catholics. Off. But Lutherans came, uh, Muslims came, Hindus came, atheists came. And I, I knew what their faith backgrounds were because I was in my collar when I was there. I was a seminarian. And so they talked to me during the workday. And they told me that they're following Catholics, they're anti-Catholic. They're, one was a Lutheran seminarian. And I remember particularly the Lutheran seminarian, every day after work, he would come in and he would do the holy hour with this before the Eucharist. And the way he looked at the Eucharist, it said something to me. It said, this guy believes that this is more than a piece of bread. As you and I know, Lutherans believe in consubstantiation, which is different than what Catholics believe in, which is transubstantiation. Lutherans believe that mass, the bread and wine become Jesus, but when mass is over, it's back to being bread and wine. We believe that at mass, the bread and wine becomes Jesus and it stays Jesus, right, um, after mass. So that's why we have adoration. Now, this Lutheran seminarian, he was adoring the Eucharist, like he was gazing with love upon the Eucharist. And so on my last day there, I asked him, I said, hey, man, I said, uh, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it, it seems to me that you actually believe that this is more than a symbol. It seems to me like you believe this is Jesus Christ. And he said, I do believe now. After spending this time here, I do. Why was he able to believe? Because the sisters opened the doors to everybody. So what do we do? Well, we need to, to go outside of our church walls, walk throughout our neighborhoods and our businesses and our schools that are in our geographical boundaries and become friends with the people who live there and through developing friendships with the people, invite them to have an encounter with Christ through small group Bible studies and through Eucharistic adoration. That's what I've done throughout my parish ministries, and I've seen supernatural fruit every time I've done it. I've seen people come into the church through RCAA. I've seen people who were Catholic, who left the church, come back to the church. And so that's that's one thing that we can do. Another thing that, that's important for us to do um, is, is to, to be aware of of where in our society there are still some racist practices and policies that are still operative. The only way that we could find out where they're at is if we get close to people who are affected by these racist practices and policies and ask them questions. And then when we hear from them, we can actually be used by God to transform them. This is what Archbishop uh, Alfred Hughes did in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. As you know, and you noted, Louisiana has some of the most black Catholics in the nation. Uh, Lafayette has the most black Catholics, period, but New Orleans is, is a close second. But Archbishop Hughes began to notice a lot of his faithful black Catholics were leaving the church. And instead of like approaching from a place of pride and saying, oh, I know why they're leaving, he invited a number of them to sit at the table with him and he asked them questions. And he's like, what's, what's going on? What don't I know that I need to know? And they informed him that, that there was a country club in New Orleans uh, that still had a racist practice that said black people could not join. This was in the year 2007, not the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, the 2007 this happened. And a lot of Catholic churches and schools were hosting events at this country club. Now these black Catholics were parishioners of these churches and their kids went to these schools and they, they told their principals and their priests and their church leaders, hey, can y'all please stop hosting our parish events and our school events at this place that does not allow diverse membership. And the priests didn't listen, and the DREs and youth ministers and principals and teachers didn't care. And so they kept doing it. So now these black cats were like, you know what? I've been tithing. I've been active. I'm leaving. I'm done. If you're, if you're going to disrespect me and my family like this, we're out. So Archbishop Hughes, he first approached the country club, asked them to change their practice. They wouldn't do it. 
So then he wrote a pastoral letter uh, about racism. And he said that no Catholic church, school, or organization can have any event at any place that does not allow diverse membership. When he did this, they began to lose money. And when they lost money, that country club changed their practice and began to beg black people to join their country club, which, again, it brought about a healing um, in those churches. And those black Catholics felt like they could still go to those churches because they felt like their church finally heard them, that, that they were important to their church community. And so there are a lot of different practices that are still operating like that in our swimming pools and our frats. Right now it's Mardi Gras. There are a lot of racist Mardi Gras balls that um, were instituted and erected because they wanted to be uh, uh, exclusive and they didn't want any black people to join. And so those things still exist today. Um, and there are still some, some policies out there in some of our Catholic schools that have rules that, that discriminate against people of color. And whenever we become aware of those things and rewrite them and reform them, it, it is attractive to people of color to say, well, that's the kind of church that I want to belong to because that church doesn't just care about my salvation, but they, but they also care about my, my experience on earth. They don't just want to say, you can suffer now, you'll be a saint later. They actually care about my needs now. And so a lot of the work I do in my diocese, in addition to being vocation director, is I travel around to all the schools and, and I work with the different church parishes to help them to examine what's going on in the secular world around the church, what's going on in the geographical boundaries, are there still organizations and institutions that are discriminating against some of their people? And then even in our Catholic schools, do we still have um, handbook policies that uh, discriminate against black people? And some of them did, and we've been able to transform those policies to make sure that all people are welcome so they can be educated and evangelized and catechized and discipled into relationship with Jesus Christ and the church. And the fruit of that has been pretty supernatural in our land. No, I mean, you said so much there. I mean, it comes down, really, and it's so on point. I, it comes down to what, you know, the gospel of John. Christ said, if you say that you love me, uh, if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, you're a liar. Well, yeah. our neighbor is everybody. Mm -hmm. But how do we do that? It has to be from the heart. God has to transform our hearts, and that goes back to adoration. Yep. It goes back to adoration. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying this. Like, my wife's Haitian. I don't mm -hmm. even look at her as black. Mm -hmm. Like, to be honest with you. I, you know what the thing is, Joe? I, I just want, I was thinking. She's my wife. <laughs> That's just, about it. I just it. want to chime in. And our, our, our wives are sisters, Father Johnson, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, as Joe just said, I, I'm, it's so inconceivable to me. And look, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. So did Joe. Okay. I get the cultural differences. I get the racial difference. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Nobody's a saint here. Okay. But, but when you're a Catholic, like I started practicing the Catholic faith uh, back again, and I never left the Catholic faith. But I started to actually take it seriously in, in my mid thirties. Joe did it a lot younger than me after his frat days when he was in, like in his early twenties. Okay. But when you look at the world from a Catholic point of view, my wife is so far beyond black. It's like Joe just said, I'm not just saying I don't notice it because because our foundation is Christ. Our foundation is our Catholic faith. In other words, if somebody looked at us as a biracial couple, I might look at them like they're strange. What are you talking about? We're not biracial. That's my wife. She's yeah. OK, she happens to have black skin, but we're Catholic. Our foundation is Christ. When you're when you're practicing your faith, when you're in adoration, when you're in prayer, when you're praying the rosary, when you're attending mass, receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, the racial differences really become not so important. I mean, and and, and when you're talking, I'm, I'm sorry to go off on a little bit of a diatribe, Father, but I want your comments on this. That's all we hear now is race, race, race. And I want to throw the, like I said, that's why I don't watch the news. But when I did, I want to throw the, the remote control at the TV. Says, because you people are looking at it all the wrong way. You don't look at it through the eyes of Christ. That's why we have racial problems in this country. That's why we have all problems. Each other like that. And that's why we, we have even more problems because we deny Christ in this country. So if we want to keep going down this rabbit hole, keep denying Christ, and all these divisions are going to stay with us. I love your comments on this, Father, even if you think I'm off base. No, I, I think that it's important to see color so that we can recognize who's at the table and who's not. You know, one of the only reasons I'm a priest today is because one of my friends, Brandy, who's a white girl, she had a conversion through Eucharistic Adoration in 2003. After her conversion in 2003, um, she came back to our, our confirmation prep classes, uh, and there was 20 kids total, 16 white, four black. And she would go to conferences, retreats, and youth groups after conversion. And every conference she went to, every retreat she went to, and every youth group meeting she went to, she never saw anyone black there. Every speaker was white, every religious sister was white, every priest was white, and every teen who attended was white. But she knew there were black Catholics because we were in confirmation course together. So she was super intentional 
about sitting with us and inviting us to those conferences, to those retreats, workshops, and youth group every single week. I mean, like literally, she was relentless. She was like, we need to see black people at these conferences too. And so she would invite us over and over again. And after a year of saying no to her, I finally said yes the night I was confirmed. And that's the only reason I had my encounter with Christ in adoration on June 26, 2004 at 8 o'clock p.m. Saturday night um, at Steubenville South Youth Conference was because I had a white friend who was attentive to color and she was attentive to what colors were being accommodated, what colors were being um, um, invited to, to do things and, and what color wasn't represented. And so she took it upon herself to be the person to, to make sure that she was going to ask us over and over again. And there was even someone from our church parish who, when she invited me to go, they said, we don't need him to go. Like he's probably one of those bad kids. And they tried to stop her from getting me to come with her to Steubenville because of their own racial prejudice. And they work for the church. This is somebody who was like invested in the church and, and a leader in the church um, who didn't know me, but assumed because of the color of my skin that I was some kind of thug. And so um, I think it's important that we do recognize color, but that we don't um, have any racial prejudice toward that color or our racial stereotypes that we believe about people of that color or discriminate because of that color. But when we are aware of color like the apostles were, then we were able to see, you know what? I have a bunch of people of a bunch of different ethnicities in my boundaries, but my parish only looks like one ethnicity. And so because I see that, I'm now inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to know who it is that the Lord wants me to go and dwell with so I can invite them to the sacraments. Because I think that when more people have an encounter with Christ in the scriptures and the Eucharist and the sacraments, then they will be, be able to be used by God to go out to their own communities, to go out to their own neighborhoods, to share the joy of the gospel, and we'll begin to see saints being formed. Um, mm -hmm. You're right, the Catholic Church is the response to racism. Um, the problem is, is not enough Catholics um, are intentional enough and consistent enough with Christ in prayer to be inspired by Christ in prayer to go out to do the will of God, which is to make disciples of all nations, to not let somebody settle for their faith. If their faith is not Catholic, then they might have some truth, but they don't have the fullness of truth. Right. They might have some of the gift, but we have the fullness of the gift. And I refuse to, to live a life that says, I want anybody to settle for just the word of God. I love the word of God. I read the word of God every day, but we also have the blessed sacrament. We also have confirmation. I, I don't want someone to just be baptized. I want someone to receive communion too. And so my mission is to invite everyone to the fullness of the one church that Jesus Christ founded. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we say, well, this person is already a Christian. That's enough. I'm like, no, it's, it's not enough. Like, why don't we invite them to the fullness of the church that Christ founded and stop selling for, for, for the bare minimum? And so I, I think that the reason why racism is such a problem in America is because of Catholics who aren't fulfilling the divine mandate of Jesus Christ to pray think, and make disciples. I think, you're, I think you're exactly right, Father Josh Johnson. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rossinello because um, we want to continue the conversation. Um, and, and, and thank you for that answer. I think where I was going, Father, more, uh, more than anything, is that because that's all we hear is identity, 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 I think it would behoove us, all Catholics, to see our primary identity as children of God, as disciples. Beloved sons Christ. and daughters of the Father. Yeah, that's that's who we are. Father, if we did that, this isn't pie in the sky. It's not some sort of uh, false idealism or, or whatever. It's true. If you see your identity, your true identity, yeah. rooted in reality in Jesus Christ, many of our problems go away. We well, still have to address them, like you said. Yeah, and when we Jesus, still have to address them. When Jesus saw, saw, came to Saul, he said, why are you persecuting me? because he identifies himself with, with us. Once we're baptized, the Father sees us as Jesus. So you are the body of Christ, Joe, and you are the body of Christ, Joe, and I'm the body of Christ. So like that's, I had a spiritual director who was an exorcist, and he used to say to me all the time, Josh, who are you? And he was trying to get me to believe, who am I? I'm the body of Jesus Christ. Like when I look in the mirror, that's who I am. So the, the question shouldn't be, WWJD, what would Jesus do? The question we should ask ourselves daily is, WIJD, what is Jesus doing in and through me? Because I am the body of Jesus. You're Jesus. You're Jesus. Like, we're all the body of Jesus Christ by virtue of our baptism. We have become a new creation. And so, um, it, it, like you're saying, yeah, if we really believe that, that we're Jesus, that we're his body, um, then, then we would act like Jesus. And we would cross. <laughs> we, we, well, we, we would do anything for salvation of souls. We would die. We would be martyred for salvation of souls. Sure. But Christ hides sometimes in, 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 in the appearance of others. I, I'll tell you like a, a story from my experience in Calcutta. I can remember a man came in to the home for the dying and he was filthy, filthy. And the sisters were like, 
I want you to put this oil on his feet. And I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. You want me to touch this man's feet? He is filthy. And we didn't speak the same language, but he knew I didn't want to do it. And I knew I didn't want to do it. And we didn't even have to say it. He looked at me and, and, but then I said, I'll do it. So I put the oil on his feet and he started to cry. And I just said, that's God, but that's me who pushes God away. We don't recognize him. He's everywhere. And we, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, in, I'm Catholic Joe, you know, down in India, and he's right in front of my face, and I don't want to do it. But this is where it is. Christ is in the street. He's in front of our face, and we have scales. We got to get rid of those scales. And, and that's the hard part, but it can be done. It can be done. This is why we go to reconciliation. You know, whenever we immerse ourselves in the sacraments and we go to confession, we receive grace. And that grace of God does transform us. And so, as y'all were saying earlier, you recommend confession at least once a month. I go once a week. And I don't go once a week because I'm in mortal sin. I go once a week because I want more grace, because I want to be transformed more by the love of God so that I can see with his eyes and feel with his heart and act as his body. And so there, that transformation does happen to over time when we immerse ourselves in the gifts that God has given us, primarily confession and Eucharist, as often as possible. That, that, and, and, and that's something that, you know, we try to emphasize all the time. You know, it's sometimes, Father, nowadays when you, when you, when you ask people, you know, or you recommend somebody go to confession, you're, you're automatically judgmental. Why are you judging me? I don't know. Not really. I just want you to go and get some grace. As you yeah. just said, Father Josh Johnson joining Joe and I at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. So we don't have a tremendous amount of time. I think we got about eight or nine minutes left. Uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued. You're, you are a contributing author to the book entitled Black Catholics on yeah. the Road to Sainthood. I love um, him so much. Yeah, let's, uh, I'll, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I know he had a couple questions about that. Talk a little bit about these Catholics. I mean, I knew two of them. I've heard of, obviously, uh, Pierre Toussaint because he's from New York. Um, and uh, also I've heard of, I didn't know that much about him, but Augustus uh, Tolton, but the other four, I, I, I did not. I mean, just for the listener's benefit, the book basically breaks down uh, six African-American Catholics. Um, and, you know, obviously the saints point the, the, you know, the way to God. So tell us a little bit about these guys and women. Yeah. yeah so there, there's six African-Americans right now who are on the path to being canonized. Uh, we have, Father Augustus Tolton, he's the first recognized black priest in America who was born into slavery. Uh, his family escaped slavery. His father was killed during the Civil War. Um, and uh, he, quite frankly, all six of these black Catholics, uh, but particularly him and his story that I'll share, was persecuted by his fellow Catholics. You know, um, And so he felt called to be a priest, but there wasn't one Catholic seminary in the United States of America that would accept him for no other reason than because of the color of his skin. Uh, they said, we don't accept black priests in America. And so he had to go to Rome to be formed and to be discipled. And after he was ordained in Rome, he was sent back to the United States of America, where he, he joyfully served the sacraments, and he died with his bootstraps on. Um, and he died from exhaustion, really, because he was he was doing it by himself, because his brother priest in his diocese persecuted him. Uh, Mother Amrie DeLille is from Louisiana. Uh, she also, like Augustus Tolton, is a venerable. She's the founder of the Holy Family Sisters in New Orleans. I used to teach theology of the body at the high school that she founded, uh, St. Mary's Academy. And so she um, also, like all six of them, they experienced racism and they experienced particularly persecution from the church. Um, from not the church, when I say the church, I mean people within the church, right? Um, the, the church is perfect insofar as she's the bride of Christ, but the members of the church, bishops and priests and seminarians and religious and lay people are really messed up quite often, like the, like the apostles were. Uh, all the apostles abandoned Jesus, um, and including John. John came back, but initially he abandoned Jesus, and Peter denied Jesus, and Thomas doubted Jesus, and, and so they all hurt Jesus a lot. And unfortunately, a lot of the church leaders in America hurt him a lot in the way they treated these, uh, these six black Catholics. And so Mother Lil, though she was allowed to found this community eventually after she was denied access to every um, convent she tried to join because she was black, they denied her because of the color of her skin, the Carmelites, the Ursulines, they all denied her. So she was able to found her own order for African-Americans, and uh, but she wasn't allowed to wear a habit. The, the, the church uh, leadership would not allow her to wear a habit because they thought that would be disrespectful to the white nuns. And so it wasn't until I think 
it was either seven or 13 years after she passed away, her sisters were finally able to wear the veil and, and look like nuns. Um, we have Mother Mary Lange, we have Julia Greeley, we have Pierre Toussaint, we have Sister Thea Bowman, those other four uh, candidates who are on the path to being saints. But one of the beautiful things about them, all six of them, is this, is even though they experienced a lot of persecution from their their bishops, from their priests, from their sisters, and from lay people, they also had a few priests, a few sisters, and a few lay people um, uh, who who were there for them and who supported them and who fought for them and fought with them to help them to stay in the church. And all six of them, even though they experienced all this suffering from their fellow Catholics, they all stayed faithful to the Eucharist. They all had a devotion to the Eucharist and they didn't leave Jesus because of all the Judases in the church. And so I think they're an inspiration for us because I think we're living in a very messy time in the church right now where there's a lot of division in the church. There's a lot of um, misunderstanding and there's a lot of uh, drama between lay people and lay people priests and priests, sisters and brothers, and bishops and cardinals are all fighting each other, and the Pope. Like everybody right now is all over the place right now uh, in the faith. And I think that these six candidates are perfect for a time such as this, because they can inspire all of us that no matter how messy it is in the church right now, and no matter how broken we are and the other members of the body of Christ are in the church right now in America, we can stay faithful to Jesus. And we can stay close to the sacraments, um, even whenever uh, we don't trust our pastors or we don't trust our youth ministers or DREs, our bishops or whoever it is that we're having drama with right now. We can stay in the church of Jesus Christ founded because Jesus, though the apostles were messy, he never left them. And if Jesus never left them and we're called to be the body of Jesus Christ, we must imitate Jesus Christ. And we also can't leave our brothers and sisters in the church either. And if we stay faithful and imitate Jesus on earth, then he promises us that we'll be able to remain in relationship with him and the body of Christ who perseveres by the grace of perseverance in the kingdom of heaven forever. But where are we going to go, though? I mean, like, I'm Catholic because of the sacraments. I see the mess, you know what I mean, as everyone else is. Like, I think people have to focus on the sacraments. And I'll, I'll just throw a little tidbit out there, which has helped me. I used to get nuts, banging my head against the wall, screaming. Um, but then I found out that the blood on the wall was my head. It wasn't the church's. Um, what has helped me, I rigorously fast for the church every Amen. Wednesday, rigorously, and it has given me a grace of peace. I was telling my wife, over time, it has given me a grace of peace. I don't freak out anymore. Amen. I don't go nuts. And that is something people have to vent their frustration in the right way. And I think that's the way to do it. You know, there's a quote I'll read you. Um, it's from a guy, Carlos, somebody. He was an Italian theologian, became a religious brother. And this is what he said, talking about the church. He said, how much I must criticize you, my church, and yet how much I love you. You have made me suffer more than anyone, and yet I owe more to you than to anyone. I should like to see you destroyed, and yet I need your presence. You have given me much scandal, and yet you alone have made me understand holiness. Never in this world have I seen anything more compromised and more false, yet never have I touched anything more pure, more generous, or more beautiful. Countless times I have felt like slamming the door of my soul in your face, and yet every night I pray that I might die in your sure arms. No, I cannot be free of you, for I am one with you, even if not completely. Then, too, where would I go? To build another church? But I cannot build one without the same defects, for they are my defects. And again, if I were to build another church, it would be my church, not Christ's church. No, I am old enough and I know better. And I think it's important for us to recognize, we if we left the church, we're leaving the church that Christ founded. And we're going to start our own church. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go, Lord, right? He, he found the church and he said the gates of Hades will never overcome it. And if I leave the church he founded, then I'm saying, Christ, you're a liar. The gates of Hades have overcome this church, and the, and the gates of Hades will never overcome the church. We've always had sinners in the church. And in the Mass, every single Mass, at the beginning of Mass, what's the one thing we all pray? The Confidior, we say, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned. Not, not, I don't say that y'all are a bunch of sinners. I say I have sinned. So we all acknowledge that everybody in church, the bishop, the priest, the deacons, the nuns, the sisters, the pope, the lay people, the little kids and the old people, we are all a bunch of sinners. And we're asking each other to pray for each other so that we can become saints over time in our walk toward eternity. So if we want to find, find a, a perfect um, community of people in the body of Christ on earth, it ain't going to happen because we're not perfect. And wherever we go, it's going to be messy. So we might as well trust Jesus and do what he did and stay with the, the messy church on earth so that we can 
experience the, the perfect church in heaven that right now is worshiping for, before the throne of God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know what is, is the most encouraging thing, Father, about this entire conversation? We're so happy you joined us, Father Josh Johnson, on the front line with Joe and Joe, is that you gave two perfect reasons to stay out of the church. The, the, uh, the, 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 um, seeing the racism amongst individual Catholics and all the confusion in the church, I look at you and I say, that should have kept you away, but it didn't for the reason you said. Father, we have 30 seconds uh, where people can buy your books and maybe a parting thought for our audience, please. Yeah, uh, uh, You can buy my books there. You can see me on social media at FR Josh Johnson. Um, and you can pray for me, please. Pray and fast for me. I am not perfect, and I am still a sinner who desires to become a great saint. So as Joe fasts every Wednesday, please fast for me. Wednesdays, Fridays, even on Thursdays, uh, that's the day that I pray for priests and bishops and cardinals and the Pope. So join me in that prayer and fasting and do it for me because I'm a sinner who needs to become a saint. So I need you um, very much to, to help me to, to persevere because I don't want to leave Jesus ever. And uh, and we are all fickle, and I don't want to yeah, deny my Lord. So yeah, pray for me, fast for me. So I can stay with him. Amen. Absolutely. Father Josh Johnson, thank you so much for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Everybody out there, make sure you follow Father Josh. He's awesome, and that's why we had him on. He's got a lot to say. Thank you all for joining Joe and I at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to go on VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com. If you'd like to comment on all of any of our station's content, and download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to that content. And finally, follow Joe and I on YouTube. We're at the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV. And we also have our website if you'd like to support us at thefrontlinetv.com, thefrontlinetv.com. And remember that until the next time, our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>